We are in, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the middle of the series called Better Together. And the essence of what we're talking about and we'll talk about this morning is this. If you, wanna, you want to um, be successful in life, I suppose I could say this even to a secular audience, but successful in life and certainly successful in your life of faith, that's why I suppose most of you showed up here on a Sunday morning this morning, you have to learn to do it, I need to learn to do it, in the context of relationships, right? Committed relationships. Now, is that difficult to do? Yes, it's difficult to do. I mean, I could be, my subject this morning isn't marriage, but of all the married people in the room or those who are thinking about it, you know, unless you're, um, you know, really uh, have uh, your, your, your heads in the clouds, most people would tell you that marriage is difficult, right? The best marriage in this room has difficult, but is it worth it, right, to work at a committed relationship? Is, it, is the end justify the means? Yes, it does, okay? And that's what I want to talk about as we talk about committed relationships uh, in the context of the body of Christ. Our passage this morning, if you have a Bible, open up to Colossians, middle of your New Testament, one of Paul's letters, or your phone, or you can follow along with me, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Uh, title, a message is titled, Everybody Drives Me Crazy. Okay? <laughs> Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Follow along as I read. Lots to be uh, said, and we won't unpack it all, but it's a beefy passage of Scripture. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What is that? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, colon, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's you, that's me, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, there is enough um, truth in that passage for a series of messages, which I'm not going to give you this morning, so I want to be as efficient as I can. The first word says, since, therefore... And he says that because what he wants to do, and I'm going to do this in a, hopefully in a half a minute, or, is he says, because of everything I just told you in the last three chapters. And what he told you is, this is what God has done for you. 
right? It's almost as if and he says, because what God has done for you, this ought to be the implications of what's been done. It's almost a silly example. If I said to you, here's a check for a million dollars, it's yours, right? Now, I want you to, there are certain things, I, I, some expectations I have with it, but you've been given this gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't, you know, there was no deal making. There was no, it wasn't because of who your parents are. I just gave you this check. Now I want you this, what are you going to do with it? That's what Paul is saying. Now, the since, when he says since there, really in that one word, he's, he's covering a number of things. And I'll just give you one quick reference if you, if you care to take notes. It's in chapter 1, verse, I think it's 13 and 14. He says, listen, Jesus Christ has three big words. He says, he has rescued you. He has redeemed you, and he has forgiven you. All that's in two verses. First Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, uh, 13 and 14. Wow, that tells you something about what it means to be a Christian. He's rescued you. Some of you go, well, I don't need rescuing. Well, then you can't be a Christian. He's redeemed you. He's picked you out of the fire. There's an image in the Old Testament of Ezekiel, like a brand from the fire, and he's, he's, he's redeemed you. He's bought you. That's what it says. You, well, I don't need to be bought. I'm okay myself. Then you can't be a Christian. He has forgiven you. Uh, Colossians 1, 14. This is what he's saying. Since those things are true, you ought to live a whole new way. Now, here's the big idea, though. It doesn't happen automatically, right? That is to say, the life that we're talking about, at the, even at the end of this passage, bear with one another, forgive one another, love as Christ loved. Oh my gosh, who can do that? That doesn't come overnight, but it's funny. I've been a pastor now 13 years, and it still happens to me. I get people, typically it's um, either, you know, uh, uh, young women, I mean, you know, uh, pre, uh, uh, you know, people who haven't been married yet, uh, uh, young women with, want to bring their boyfriend or a, a young guy wants to bring his girlfriend, sometimes a husband wants to say, Pastor, listen, I know if you just talk and meet my boyfriend, if you just meet my new girlfriend, if you can just talk to my husband, I know that just from talking to you, they're going to be a nicer person, right? <laughs> I know, in fact, some would say, I know if you have lunch with them, would you, would you be willing to have lunch? I know if you have lunch with my husband, if you have lunch with my boyfriend, I know he's going to become more like Jesus, you know? And I want to say, you can get a big head as a pastor, but let me just, let me just say, in case anyone's ready to make that appointment, uh, it's not going to accomplish what you think, because here's the big idea, and Paul's saying it's my first point. We misunderstand the nature of change, right? We are not invited to imitate Jesus' life, but participate in it. Just think for a minute on this. The whole Christian life. We are not invited to imitate Jesus' life. And, you know, that's what many people think the Christian life is. And that's why more and more, though we may not admit it, we're, we, sometimes we don't want to be honest with our friends, our spouses, our, our, our small group, ourselves. We're not doing so good. Because, let me, tell, let me, just, let me save you um, a lot of headache. To imitate Jesus' life is impossible. It's an absolute failed experiment. You will never do it. You will fail miserably. You will end even worse than where you started because of the guilt and the shame that comes along with it. The Bible does not invite us to imitate Jesus' life. It invites us to participate in Jesus' life. If you miss this, you miss everything. Now, let me say something about the, the Bible. 
not just the letters of Paul. The Bible, some of you would know this, ironically, it criticizes religion a lot, right? I mean, it's, you think, well, isn't this a book about religion? About, but actually, if you read the Bible carefully, it criticizes religion. In fact, Jesus seems to go out of his way, right? That's why they say they crucified him, right? He walked into the temple, not you know, a building, I don't know, I've, uh, let's say like this, and there was a gathering place, but it had very serious uh, rooms and very serious things took place. It was the holiest of holy places. There was only one church for Jews in the Old Covenant, right? The temple. There wasn't one on every street corner. There was one. And people came together, and Jesus walked into that place. Some of you know this. And he was so frustrated and so um, uh, angry at the misapplication of the truth that he turned over the tables. He said, you've turned this into a shopping market. You've turned this into a mall. You're you're, you're not honoring God. You're you're just feeding your own selfish desires. And he turned the whole place over. He said, you've turned this into my father's house, which is supposed to be a place for prayer and devotion, into a marketplace, right? He attacked religion. Same thing on the Sabbath. Why did Jesus do that? And, and you see it in the, in the writings of Paul, too. Why is that? It's very important you understand why. They're not attacking the end of religion. I want to affirm to you today, as a pastor, as a Christian, as your pastor, the end game of the a religion or of the Christian religion is, is a holy life, right? God wants you, God wants me to live a holy life, a life like Jesus, I'm not backing away from that in your mind, in your heart, in your behavior, in your giving, in your serving, in your loving, in your relationships. He wants you to live a holy life. What's its issue with Jesus and Paul is not the end, it's the means, you see. Where we are confused is how do you get there? Most of our failures in this room about becoming a Christian or failures in relationship at all, but in the context of the body of Christ, is our in, in trying to, we get confused on the means. How do I get there? How do you get there? The life God wants for you or me. The last paragraph talked about it, right? Holy, clothe yourselves with compassion, humility, gentleness, patience. Love people who are hard to love. Be like Jesus, right? Verse 13 and 14. This kind of life, God gives it to you. You can't achieve it. Who are you kidding? You can't, you know, create it. You give it. The whole point of the Christian life is not to achieve Christ-likeness. It's to work out what God has put in you, right? That's what the Bible says. That's what it says in the passage, right? When he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You've got to read the whole passage. Which we just, he's not, it's not a geographical reference. He's not saying, this is what you need to do. You need to think about heaven. You need to look up to heaven. You need to set your mind. If God wanted us to set our mind on what's going on in heaven, he, he did not do a very good job at writing the Bible because the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about what's going on in heaven, Right? When he says, set your mind on things above, not earthly things, it's not a geographical reference, it's a personality reference, because the next verse says Jesus, right? Set your minds not on things above, or I'm sorry, on things above, not on earthly things, on the value system of this world is what he's talking about. For you died and your life is now, present tense, hidden with Christ. Now what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. It's a gospel reference. He's saying, listen, 
all of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of your regrets, all of the, 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 the sin and the shame that you have, if you are a Christian, they are hidden in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And the secret of the means to, of the, of, of, to live a holy life is that you need to come back and reinforce every day, every uh, in and out of every day. You need to come back to the gospel because only the gospel, you are rescued, you are redeemed, you are forgiven. Only the gospel can really touch the root of your problems, the root of my problems. That's what Paul is saying. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The only way to achieve the picture of that last paragraph, love as God has loved, forgive as God has forgiven you, right? The only way you can do that is greater reliance, is greater belief on the forgiving love of God. You need to preach it to yourself. You need to memorize scripture. Listen, you need to internalize it, and then it needs to be reinforced by the other people in your life. That's what we're talking about, right? People who can look you in the eye, even though you might feel like uh, junk, even though you might feel like a failure, even though you might feel like you're overwhelmed by all of your sins and your shame, who can look you in the face and say, God loves you, and can point you and say, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Don't talk to me about your shame. Don't talk to me about your failure. Yes, you have failures. Yes, you make mistakes, but that's not who you are. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You, your life, your shame, your sins, your shortcomings, they are hidden with Christ and God. That's what he's saying, okay? Do you get that? We are not invited to imitate Jesus' life. We're invited to participate in Jesus' life. I saw um, this week uh, the movie, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, okay? Now, some of you haven't heard of it. But it's a hard to get an Oscar buzz, but I'm, I'm guessing the majority of you have not seen it because it's the, it's the story of a documentary on, on Fred Rogers, who passed away probably 15 years ago, who did a kids program on PBS in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, I think even into around the year 2000 or so. Now, what was so interesting, I just read that, I, I, although I was a kid for some of those years, I just, it wasn't my... My mother didn't turn me on to it. I didn't watch that show, but I was certainly familiar with it. But when I read the documentary, I thought it was so interesting. I wanted to see it. But here was one of the interesting things about that documentary I found so compelling about this show that was on for 30 years. And had a, he had his own little cult following, this very simple show, this little puppet um, you know, uh, uh, set up. And it was, it was so simple. It was the most low production show you have ever seen. And... Uh, <laughs> And he was a little kind of a rock star in the children's community. But what, was so, what, they, what I learned from that documentary was this. What was so genius was not his production value. It wasn't his great singing or teaching or whatever. It wasn't his clothes, certainly, if you remember him. He's kind of, <laughs> but here's what it was. It was he found a way to talk about serious issues with little kids. And what this documentary showed was, even during the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, he found a way to talk about the Vietnam War. He, took a, he, had, a, he had a show to talk about the, the, the assassination of RFK. He had a show to talk about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. He had a show even about 9-11. How do you communicate these very difficult things? He took little kids seriously. And now there was one scene that was an example of this, and, and the, the sort of alter ego of 
Fred Rogers, apparently, I wasn't watching the show, was this little sock puppet. I mean, it was unbelievable. I could have made this thing. It was this little sock puppet. It was a, uh, a, um, a tiger, Daniel the Tiger. And it was his alter ego. And it was part of the main show for 30 years. But there was one time, and they showed this, on the, uh, where this little puppet comes out. It was an example of Rogers dealing with serious issues. And the little puppet says to this woman who was a part of the set, she was part of the show, she was an, you know, an adult person, a human being in the little puppet show, Mrs., I can't remember her name, but he said, listen, he said, the woman says, Daniel, what's wrong with you? You look very sad today. And he says, I think I'm a mistake. And she says, she had this look on her face. She goes, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you know, I, 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 I don't roar like other tigers and I, I live in a clock and I'm small. He goes on to all these things about himself that aren't true. Or I mean that are true, that are, that are unlike what he thinks a, a tiger should be like. And he said, I think I'm a mistake. And then, you know, it's a TV show, he starts to sing, right? And, and he sings this song that if you look, the words are very sad. He just goes, I'm a mistake. I'm a fake. I'm not like anybody else. I'm too small. It's very depressing. And she's just, her heart's broken all of a sudden. She starts to sing, it's sort of this cacophony back and forth, and she starts to sing another song, and it's the exact opposite truth, and she says, listen, you are not a fake, you are not a mistake, you are my friend, and she keeps singing it and singing it and singing it, and it's, she's louder than him, and it's sort of negative, positive, and it goes on for a whole minute of screen time in this, in this film and in this show. But it's so powerful because this is what we think. We think Christianity is some, you know, swallow the pill, here's your answer, and you say you feel crappy, and I say God loves you, and you're supposed to feel better. That's not how it works. You just keep saying, you just keep saying, I'm a fake, and I'm small, and you, and you keep saying it. But if you hang in there, and you listen, start listening to a voice that's not your own, it says, you are not a fake, you are not a mistake, you are my friend, and by the end of 60 seconds, she prevails, okay? And I thought to myself, watch this, there's my sermon for Sunday morning, right? Now, but do you know how to do that, right? That's the question. Are you doing that? My life is hid with Christ in God, but you got to go there, guys. you got to go there. And uh, uh, I will say this now. I was in the theater, it was a public theater, right? And yes, it touched my heartstrings, but I did not shed a tear. I want you to know that. My sister, on the other hand, <laughs> bawled through the entire movie. Okay, now, but here's the point. What am I getting at? You, we are not invited to imitate the life of Jesus. Participate in it. Let me give you a verse. Watch this. Christianity in one verse. How do you live it? How do you achieve it? But we have this treasure, that's Christ, what you've been given, in jars of clay. That's Paul being very, that's, that's what they call a, a euphemism. You're a cracked pot. That's what he's saying. I'm a cracked pot. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us, Right? Do you feel like a fake? Do you feel like a mistake? Well, I do too, most days. But it's not about me. It's not about you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now watch this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Now leave that up there, guys, for a minute. What's he saying there? What in the heck does that mean? We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Very carefully. That's what he's saying this. 
How, what does it mean that your life is hid with Christ and God? It means every single day when you wake up with self-defeating um, thoughts of your own failures, your own sin, your own shame, because you are a sinner, yes, including me, including everyone in this room, you wake up, the only place you can take them is to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying in a clever way, what I do, how do I deal with it? I'm perplexed on every side. Life is difficult. Sometimes life is overwhelming. Forget about my job. Forget about the economy. Forget about, I, I just, just deal with the junk of my own life. I'm perplexed on every side. He says, listen, but... We're not, we don't despair because I carry around in my body the death of Jesus. That is, I can go to the cross every day in a manner of speaking. And I can bring my shame. My life is hid with Christ and God. And in everyday ways, I can come and receive the application manner of speaking of the death of Jesus that then also releases his life into my mind, into my heart, into my thoughts, into my life, into my relationships. That's what he's talking about. And until you get that, friends... You're never going to make a progress in the Christian life, and you're not going to make progress in the context of community. We're, invited to imitate, we're not invited to imitate the life of Jesus, but to participate in it. Second point, how do you work this out? You can't love others, which is the whole point of this series and this passage, by the way, until you first learn to love yourself. Now, if that's all you quoted and twittered on me today, you'd think I was crazy or something, okay? But listen carefully, Okay? What do I mean, Pat? What do you mean? You can't love others until you first love yourself. What this means is you have to understand the biggest problem in me being a better to love the way Jesus loved, and last paragraph, my biggest problem is me. Your biggest problem is you. There are two lists of sins, okay? Verses five through nine, summary. If you listen carefully to this passage. And these sins are characterizing Human life, the life that we all are, came from and that we brought with us even into this room, right? You don't, your life does not eliminate, right? It's like, you know, can help my, my husband uh, be more like Jesus overnight. It doesn't happen for any of us. We're all walking around with our junk every single day until, until Jesus comes back. But there's two lists of sins here. Let me summarize them for you. I'm not going to go over them all. The first list, verse 5, all this talk about sexuality and impurity. Listen, the first list is about sex and greed. It's about exploitation. He's saying what's very true of almost all people is they go into relationships. They never use that word, but they're really trying to use other people to get what they want from them in a business deal, in a marriage, in a relationship, in a bar, whatever the case may be, even parents and children. It's exploitation. In the second list, verse 9, talks about anger and the verbal abuse that comes out of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. And what it's talking about here is the, how critical we are of others so that they can feed our own pride, right? Much of our relationship is about being exploitative, being greedy, sexual or otherwise, getting from others what we want for ourselves, or being critical of others to build up our own pride. He's just character, but what he's saying here is both of these sins, these sets of sins, harm community. They poison relationship. The real measure of your faith, guys, what I'm saying, my faith, is not where you're going when you die. Is that important? Yes, it's important. But that doesn't talk about this passage. He doesn't say your life is hid with Christ and God, therefore can't wait to play uh, something, something in heaven. He doesn't say that. 
He says, now I want you to get real. The real measure of your faith is not where you're going when you die. It's how you express your faith in the relationships where you live. That's what he's saying, right? That's what he's talking about in this passage. And everything in this passage is about relationships with others. We're either using other people or we're serving other people. So what do I mean when I say you can't love others until you love yourself? Listen carefully. Almost done. It means you can't love others until you take your sin seriously. That's what I'm saying. Because every relationship, think about this. If you're married, kids, parent, child, think about your best friends, your community friends, whoever they are. Every relationship is only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. And very often, that's me, and very often, that's you. That's what I mean by saying, until you love yourself, you can't really love anybody else. And what it means to love yourself is to take your sin seriously. This is what Jesus said. Again, you've got, you got to slow down when Jesus says things because he's, he's purposely provocative. He wants to wake you up. And he says to his disciples one day, he said, listen, um, if your eye offends you, wow. Now, I don't know in the history of the church, probably happened because there's crazy people everywhere, but <laughs> I don't know that anybody ever plucked their eye out. If your hand offends you, okay, I don't, I don't think anyone did that or most people did that. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. He didn't say if you're a criminal and you're a bank robber or you take things that aren't yours, you should cut your hand off. Or if you look at magazines and people and, and things you shouldn't look at, you should plug. No, he's not saying that. It's, a, it's an image. It's a metaphor. It's provocative. He's saying, listen, take your sin seriously. That's what he's saying. Get real. Get serious. You can't just put it to sleep. You've got to put it to death. And the only way you can put it to death, put to death, therefore, these old practices, lust and sexual immorality and rage and malice and slander and, and, and lying is you got to bring it to the cross. you got to learn how to carry in, in your body the death of the Lord Jesus, right? A book's not going to help you. Three steps aren't going to help you. Some little, you know, new haircut's not going to help you. you got to kill it. And unless you learn how to kill it, to hide your life in Christ, you're never going to experience what God wants for you, and you're not going to make the progress in relationships, which is what this passage is also talking about. Often we stay out of deep relationships with others and we say it's because of their quirks and their shortcomings. These people are so difficult, they're so hard, she's so this, she's so that. I would challenge you to say the reason many of us don't get very far in relationships, even in the church, is because of our own pride, our own sin security, our own bitterness, right? Because we're not willing to deal honestly. We don't know the most basic fundamental of the Christian life, which is we're not, caught, we're not invited to imitate the life of Jesus. We're invited to participate in it, right? And until you learn how to participate in it so that your sin is actually dealt with every single day. Let me tell you something. This might be my last Sunday at Browncroft, okay? I want to be real honest with you. Every sin that's in verses 5 through 9, right? Sexual immorality, certainly in my mind and my heart. Greed, malice, talking, saying things that I shouldn't be. Every single one of those is true of this guy. I wake up every single morning and I, have, I don't have to search for guilt or shame or I feel like a fake. I feel like a mistake. Those thoughts come to me naturally because that's who I am. And I have to learn and you have to learn 
how to carry in your body the death of the Lord Jesus if you ever want to get anywhere in your life, right? That's what he's talking about. It's not imitation, it's participation. That's what he's talking about. Now, verse 9, he gives you this analogy. He's trying to make it simple. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self and its practices and put on the new self. Listen, that's every day. He's using this metaphor, and what he's saying is this, manner of speaking. You need to get naked before God every single day. You need to take off. You say, well, Bob, you've been a Christian for a long time. You don't, you don't have bad thoughts anymore. You don't talk bad about people anymore. You don't have, uh, didn't all that go away? No. Snap out of it. Wake up, right? Those of you who know me know better, but this is true for you too, okay? Don't elbow your wife. Elbow yourself, okay? <laughs> it's true of you too. But what you need to do is you need to take off these old practices. That first means you have to realize you have them. Oh, I used to be prideful. I remember Tim Keller. Tim Keller told this little analogy one time, and I don't know where he got it. It's genius. He said, you know, when I was 30 years old, I'd look at the 20-year-old Tim Keller, and I said, boy, what a fool that guy was. What a, I can't believe anyone took me seriously, but I feel so good about who I am now. Until he turned to be 40, he looked back and goes, oh, my gosh, what a fool I was. You know, and he goes all the way up the chain, right? Snap out of it. You are going to have these issues. You're going to have these sin problems that are deep-rooted until the day you die. And you have to learn every day to get naked before God, okay? I'm not taking my shirt off, but use your imagination, okay? <laughs> and you need to put on, verse 9, right? The new man who is renewed in Christ. It's not seven habits. It's Christ in knowledge and the image of his creator. Now, when you learn to do this, then you can, instead of going into your relationships and just throwing up all over other people with your sexual, in, your greed, and your exploitation, and your self-serving criticism, which is human nature, see, you've dealt with those things. I carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus who helps me, who heals me, who frees me, who loves me, who says to me louder than I say to myself, you are not a fake. If I told you how many days I woke up as a pastor and said, I'm a fake, you, you wouldn't come back next Sunday, okay? You are not a fake. You are not a mistake. I love you, all right? You got to get that from God. Do you do that? But if you don't know how to do this, if you don't take off and put on, it's a practice, you're never going to make any. You'll never be who God wants you to be, and you'll ruin relationships. You won't help them and heal them, all right? We're invited not to imitate the life of Jesus, but to participate in it. And you can't love others until you first love yourself, and you love yourself by taking your sin seriously, okay? When I was a kid, I, uh, speaking of taking off and putting on, I was a big fan of um, the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm looking at Durhan, who is a big fan of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, my, the reason was my kids are my kids. It's another story, right? No, I don't have any kids. <laughs> Speaking of sin, you know, okay. Uh, all right. My, my brothers, my brothers, I have three brothers. We all played in, in what was called Pop Warner Vince Lombardi football. We played um, this area, the Vikings, right? So, we would, so as kids, we didn't know any different. We should have loved the Bills, but we loved the Vikings because our helmets were the Vikings, okay? It's still the Vikings, I believe, ironically today, okay? So we loved them. And when I was, you know, in grade school, the big quarterback, very few of you would know this name, uh, uh, was Fran Tarkington. 
And the reason I love Fran Tarkington, yeah, he, he lost three Super Bowls for the Vikings, but in any case, <laughs> he got in three. But part of the reason I loved him was, he was I mean, he was probably like my height. I mean, this guy was, he was, he was not what you would expect, scrambling Fran. And, uh, but I had this shirt someone gave me. It was a shirt of Fran Tarkington. It had his signature on it. Now, I'm sure it was a facsimile, but I didn't know. I was a kid, right? And I so, for about a year, I was so worshipped this guy, and I would never take that shirt off. I mean, there was, perm- I don't know if I wish I had it today, there was permanent peanut butter and jelly stains on that shirt. And my brothers one time said to me, listen, if you do not take that shirt off, we are going to put you and your shirt in the washer, okay? <laughs> but guys, listen. Paul's using this analogy to say, listen, that's how some of us live our lives, you see? We have, we, we have great aspirations to be like Jesus. We have great, and we should. God wants you to live a holy life. And we have great aspirations to have meaningful relationships, individuals, marriage, kids, friends, community, people who can help you become more like Jesus. But you know what? We, we're terrible at it. We can't help ourselves. We can't help throwing up all over people because we don't know how to live the Christian life. It's not by imitation. It's by participation. And you can't love others until you decide you're going to love yourself by dealing seriously with your sin. Okay. Last point. Your true purpose is found in helping others experience God's love. That's what he's saying here, right? Once, watch what happens in verse 11. This is a whole sermon in itself. Once you start putting on the Christ and know what that means, he says, now, this is so radical. No wonder they hated Paul. So radical and Jesus. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barian, Scythian, slave or free. It's almost as if, think of the, 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 uh, the chutzpah, Think of the, of the arrogance. If I were to sit in this room today and say, I'm declaring before you today, folks, that as of today, right, there's no more racism. There's no more a classism. There's no more gender discrimination. All of those things have ipso facto gone away as of today. You'd say, what are you smoking, right? <laughs> what are you, who are you? That's what Paul's saying. But here's what he's, he's, not, he's not eliminating the distinctions of culture. He's saying, but when it comes to what it means to see other people, I, because of what Jesus has done for me, because my life is hidden with Christ and God, because I've found the root of my problems are solved every day as I carry around in my body the death of the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness is manifest in more and more ways in my heart, I'm able to be, get past my own junk and come to you and simply love you the way that God loved me, right? I can look at you and say, yes, you're, a, you're, you're, you're not perfect, and yes, you're a pain in the side, and yes, you're quirky, and yes, you're a drama queen, or whatever the... I, you, uh, that's true. But you know what? More than that, you're loved by God. I see you as someone God loves, and I'm going to love you, and I want to be part of the work that God's doing in your life. Last verse, 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God. But, I circle that word, if we love one another, this is what we're really talking about. Not talking about, you know, uh, hanging out with people that like you, doing things with people who do what you like to do. Not talking, that's not what the word love means in the Bible. If we love one another in the serious way, okay, 
God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Wow. What it's saying is this, that if you and I get serious about what it means to live the Christian life, we learn how to do it, and we get serious, we start with ourselves, we actually, I know it sounds scary, I know it sounds like a big deal, but God is with us. We can do what that woman did. We can stand over people and sing our own song. You are not a fake. You are not a mistake. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. And there's something greater in you than the things that you see. And you love and forgive others as God has forgiven you. And then God's love, as if it, how bold, as if God's love needed help. When we love others, God's love is made complete through us, okay? That's what we're talking about, right? Do you have that kind of love in your life? And are you that kind of lover, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But let me tell you something, it gets easier. Because when I wake up with the same negativity and the same bad tapes that you do, I can either decide to nurture them and be self-defeating and self, uh, you know, uh, 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 critical, or I can decide, oh, but who can I find to, to, to project my criticism on to make myself feel better and on and on and on. I can either go that route, which is very destructive, and, and, and it only makes me feel worse at the end of the day, or I can say, my life is hid with Christ and God, and I'm going to go to the only place where I can have help. I'm going to carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus in a manner of speaking. I'm going to learn how to go to the cross and receive deeper forgiveness in my life, to take my sexual desires that are inappropriate, to take my rage, my malice, my self-serving defeat, and I'm going to bring it to the cross, and I'm going to get some healing, and my day's going to go from really crappy to uh, relief and joy, and then I'm going to walk into your life, and I'm going to do some good. That's what we're talking about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.